As people who are followers of Jesus, there are questions we ask about how we live in this world. How do we think? How do we respond to things? How do we, how do we understand things? And there are a lot of nuances to the questions. And one of those questions that I think, at least I think about, I assume probably others do as well, and if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, it is something you might be curious about how Christians are supposed to respond, is this idea of, of how do we handle the everyday needs of life? You tend to have two extremes. On the one hand, you have some folks who will say, you should just give away, sell, whatever, everything you have, and just rely on God to take care of you moment by moment. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who say you should get all you can. It's all blessings from God. And the more wealth you have, the more blessed you are by God. And that's one of the signs. And so you, you get everything you possibly can. And there's a part of me that admires people who are able to live abandoning everything. And there's a little bit of envy in me for people who live with this theology to get everything that they want. But I've come to realize both of them are wrong. Both of them are a skewed view of what it is like to to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and to think about and to deal with the everyday needs of our lives. And I think this is part of what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, but specifically in the passage we read this morning. And he is saying to us that there is a way to think about, to handle, to process, to live with the everyday needs of life that looks like him and reflects to other people that we are citizens of God's kingdom. And so he starts out talking about money, possessions. Jesus talks a lot about money and possessions, far more probably than than we give him credit for. If you read through the Gospels, there's a lot of conversation about Jesus and money and possessions. Lots of the parables are about money and possessions. And so here he is speaking about this once again, because this is a real thing of life. We need money. You know, we need money to buy food. We need money to buy clothes. We need money to, to find a place to live. Money is a part of our life. And Jesus is, is not saying money is bad. And he's not saying possessing things is bad. I don't think he's saying that saving money for when your income is different or to think about the future and putting money aside is bad or that buying insurance to protect yourselves against catastrophic things is bad. He's not saying that at all. And he's not denying the need that the fact that we have these needs and money can help meet those needs. He is simply telling us you can't think that money is the most important thing in your life. And you can't shape your life around being obsessed with money and possessions. I think Jesus is incredulous that there are people who would actually believe that anything you could accumulate on this earth could meet the need for security and hope and joy in a person's life. And he says to us, don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because it's all going to be gone at some point in time. Even little moths can get into stuff and ruin it. And, and vermin can get into it and rust can hit it. And we live in this part of the country where we understand rust in our vehicles. You know, you look at most of the cars in the parking lot and you're thinking, that is just rust waiting to happen with all that salt on it. I know that's my vehicles look like. 
We understand that. We understand how quickly things can fall through our fingers. The stock market can take a dive and our portfolio can completely change. And ultimately, at some point in time, we are going to be done with our life on this earth. And everything we have accumulated, we leave here. Somebody else. And Jesus is saying, it's not wrong to have possessions and it's not wrong to to have money. But hold it lightly. Not like this. Keep an open hand with it. And remember, what is the eternal value and what is the temporal value? And instead of thinking, how much can I keep and still be considered a citizen of the kingdom? We think, how much can I give away and still live? How generous can I possibly be? How much can I help, how to use what I have to help other people, to advance the kingdom, to help the ministry of the church, to, to promote the gospel in the world, and to help people who are in need in this world? And here's the thing that happens. If we, if we embrace money and possessions, if we make that the focal point, the obsession of our lives, you can't help but worry about it. Because we're always thinking, how do I hang on to it? That person might want to take it, so I've got to worry about getting it away from them. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if, what if the stock market does go down? What if a thief breaks in and steals what I have? And we live in this, this spirit of fear and worry and anxiety because we're spending our lives trying to control and hang on to this stuff we have. Now, it's not wrong to be careful. We ought to probably lock our houses. Some of us don't, but we probably ought to lock our houses sometimes. And it's probably a good thing to take care of what we have, but not to obsess about it. This word to worry, uh, it's a word Jesus uses in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. talks about a farmer who goes out and scatters seed and some of it falls on good soil and it produces this amazing crop. And some of it falls on the pathway. It's been so beaten down that it just sits there and the birds come and eat it. And he says that, that's like people who hear the word but reject it. And he talks about seed that falls in the rocky soil. And, and people who, who get that, they, they see that. And, and they, they, they receive the gospel. But the persecution, the pressure of the world eats away at them and they give it up. And then he talks about in verse 22 of the, of the seed that falls in the thorny soil. And he says the thorns come and they choke it out. Just like people... Who, who allow the cares and the worries of this world and the lure of wealth to keep them from God. That's why Jesus says in verse 30, talking about that people who are obsessed with things are people who have little faith. Have little faith. They don't really believe that God will do what he says. Because they're so obsessed about worrying, about keeping it, about hanging on to it. And, and that's why the solution to this, the solution to money and worry and possessions and all the ways we struggle with this, the solution is to remember who God is. That's really the central thing in this whole section. Remember who God is. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Heavenly Father takes care of them. They don't worry. You're much more valuable than they are. 
And they're extremely valuable to God. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't worry. They know their Heavenly Father takes care of them. And as much as God loves the flowers of the field, you're even more valuable to Him. And your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows. And He cares for you. The solution, the heart of our struggle with with money and possessions and worry is to remember who God is. He is our loving Father who cares for us, who meets our needs, who is for us and with us. Now, to say that God meets our needs doesn't mean that God always gives us what we want. I wish that were the case because there are a lot of things I want, right? You have those wants. But it's not. He's saying He will provide your needs. I'm convinced that God doesn't give us everything we want. Because if He did, we would, in our human nature, come to the place of saying we don't really need God anymore. Lord, I'm good. Thank you. I've got everything I need. I can handle it from here. And so God, I think, God lets us bump up against need. He doesn't always give us everything we want because it keeps us relying on Him. And the difference is where it takes us. Because if our rely, if we say, God, I, thank you, I don't need you anymore, that is leading us away from God who is the source of life and joy and security and hope. But the fact that we need Him and we turn to Him is leading us toward Him who is the source of life and joy and peace. And, hope. and His greatest desire for us is to know who He is. So that we can be filled with the fullness and the blessing of relationship with Him. And when you begin to know who God is, when you begin to remember the nature and the character of God who cares for His creation and watches over His creation and is at work in His creation and loves us and is for us and meets our needs... When you begin to remember who God is, the most natural thing in the world is to seek Him. To seek His kingdom above everything else. To live righteously. Sometimes we pull that verse out of the passage. And when we do that, it feels like just one more rule, one more law. Seek first the kingdom or you're in trouble. Live righteously or you're in trouble. So we work harder to seek the kingdom. We work harder to live righteously. When in reality, it's not something we do as much as it is a response to what God has already done and to who God is. When we know who God is, we want to seek His kingdom. And we want to seek Him with all our hearts. You know those moments when you find you you lost something that's valuable to you? You do everything to find it. Turn your house upside down. Look under every cushion, every couch, behind every cabinet. And you do it more than once, probably, because maybe I missed it the first time I looked. And we seek, and we will look for days and weeks and even longer to find something that is valuable to us. And Jesus is saying, have that kind of mindset about the kingdom. Instead of obsessing about these things that are going to eventually disappear, obsess about God. He will never leave you or forsake you. He meets every need. He loves you. And have a desire to live righteously. In a sense, to live righteously is really just to want the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. It's to live in the spirit of the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit. Mourning for the needs of the world. Thinking more about others than about ourselves. 
being humble. I read something recently that I thought about it a bit. I, I think I think it's, the writer is correct. We often think of righteousness as as our own uh, developing our own purity, focusing on our purity. But the reality is, when we focus on our purity, that more often than not leads to self righteousness. What we need to do is focus on God, focus on Jesus. And when we focus on Him, then instead of us trying to be righteous, He makes us righteous. We want what He wants. We want the kingdom to look exactly the way He has designed it. We want the kingdom to come on earth so that everyone can experience who God is. And that is living righteously. Thinking about justice. Thinking about the needs of the world around us. Mourning and weeping and getting involved in the hurt and the pain and the struggle of life in the world around us. What he's really talking about, I think, goes back to verses 22 and 23 about the eyes. Eyes are the lamp of the body, he says. Healthy eyes, unhealthy eyes, they they lead us to light and to dark. And, And when you think about eyes, he's really talking about focus. What do we put our attention on? If your eyes are healthy, your attention is on Christ. If your eyes are unhealthy, your attention is on self. It's the focus. It's the mindset. It's how we process things. It's how we think about things. It's what's important to us. And and I am convinced that the way to develop good eyesight is the spiritual disciplines. The first part of chapter 6, we talked about last week, talking about spiritual disciplines and, and the importance of spiritual disciplines and, and doing them in a way that focuses on God instead of getting accolades from other people. And he talks in, in the earlier part of chapter 6 about, about uh, giving and praying and fasting, and that's not, the, that's not all the spiritual disciplines. Also think about worship, serving, scriptures, solitude, silence. The spiritual disciplines help us focus our attention on God. They, they hone our focus. They're, they're sort of like, like glasses, contact lenses. Now you, you see all kinds of glasses. If you, if you need them and you go to the, the optometrist, you might not see a pig with glasses, but, but you see all kinds of glasses. And, and as you can see, I'm wearing glasses. I need glasses. On my driver's license, there's one restriction, corrective lenses. If I were to get pulled over and I was not wearing my glasses, in some states I would be fined hundreds of dollars. In other states, you go to jail for that. They take it seriously, and quite frankly, they should. Because if I don't have my glasses on, I can't see the big E on the eye chart. I can't read the clock in the back. I cannot recognize any of your faces right now with my glasses on. You're just, it's just, everything's just a blur. So you don't want me driving a car like that, right? I mean, it's dangerous to me, anybody else in my vehicle, pedestrians, anybody else on the road... I mean, I, who knows? Because I can't see anything. But, I, but I'm thinking to myself, look, I don't want to wear my glasses today. I can do this. Besides, they hurt my nose and back of my ears. And I think I look better without them. No, no one's going to tell me I have to wear my glasses. So I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to drive without them. And you would say, you're an idiot. Right? Why would you do that? 
And if you go, if I go through my life not wearing them, not only can I not see, but I'm probably going to get pounding headaches from the strain on my eyes. It just makes no sense when I have something available that allows me to see clearly. That's the spiritual disciplines. They help us see clearly. And we don't like them because they're constraining. Yeah, they are constraining. That's the whole point. They can help us to stay focused on what is most important. They help us discipline ourselves to spend time with God in His Word and in prayer and with other believers and to keep giving of ourselves. That's the point. And the seriousness of this is that Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure, what you value, is what you end up being. It's how you end up living. And so if our value, our treasure, is the stuff of this world, then that's all we'll ever have. That's all we'll ever be. And we will be greedy and manipulative and apathetic toward other people. Because all we're thinking about is keeping it and getting more. But if our treasure, our passion is Christ, we begin to take on the nature of Christ. And quite frankly, we don't have to worry about things anymore. Do we take the needs of life seriously? Yes, we do. We take them very seriously, just like God does. He's not telling us that to live in denial about the needs of life. In fact, when you get to verse 34, he says, it's got to be one of the most discouraging things he says, is that don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough stuff to worry about. And today has enough stuff to worry about. I would expect him to end on a little higher note than that. That's kind of depressing. Don't worry because you've got enough worries. I think he's simply saying, I know life is real. I know the needs of your life are real. I'm not denying that for a moment. You need these things. But just trust me. Focus your attention on me instead of on the stuff. It's hard hard to think this way because everything in our culture is bombarding us with messages that what what matters is what you have. Whoever has the most wins. You probably have played the game of life. I played it as a child. We played it with our children. And um, it's a fun game, as you can see by the people in the box. You can tell they are really enjoying playing this game. This is a good game. They're having fun. And, and you know, if you if you play this game, you know you have this little track that goes around. And you have little cars. And you put little blue and pink pegs in them for... Who you, you know, you and maybe your spouse and you maybe have children. And you go along this track, all along the board with the spinner. And you, and you encounter all kinds of things of life. Things that are good, things that are bad. Things up, things down. And, and you get a salary and every time you go past payday, you get that salary and you buy insurance. And you do all the things that you do in life. And it's just at a, a lot higher level than most of us live in terms of the thousands and thousands of dollars. But, but you, you go all these things. And in the newest game, they have these little things, life tiles. 
And on these tiles are printed little things about life. You invented something or you won a prize or you, you did, uh, you did a, a great thing of charity or you did all these different things. But every one of them is connected to money. And you earn money. And when you get to the end of the road, the very last space, millionaire acres, it used to be called, I'm not sure what it is now. The instructions tell you, here's who wins the game. The person who has the most money. That's who wins the game. And all the little life tiles, all of those things are connected to money. Everything you do in some way or another is connected to money. You don't win the game if you are the most loyal to your friends. You don't win the game if you are most generous or you sacrifice the most. You win the game if you have the most money. That's a game. So we get it. No big deal. It does. It is intriguing to me that it's called the game of life. Because quite frankly, that's the message with which we are bombarded over and over and over and over again every day. And tonight, if you watch the Super Bowl, you will be bombarded with some of the best commercials ever produced that are telling us this is who wins. Whoever has the most stuff. Whoever can protect their stuff. Whoever can hang on to their stuff. You win. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's not about focusing on the stuff. It's about focusing on the king. It's remembering who God is and trusting him. Because he's good. He's merciful. And he knows what we need. And he's there for us every single Our prayer of confession today is printed in your bulletin. We're also going to put it on the screen. What I'd like for us to do is just take a moment or two of silence to ponder it, to read over it, to pray it. And then we will pray it together as an acknowledgement of our struggle, of our need, and of who God is. pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, you've proven to us that you are good. You create and rule over all that is. Nevertheless, so often we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with anxiety and fear about possessions we crave, the needs of everyday life, the present and the future. We confess that our worry is rooted in a skewed view of who you are. Forgive us for doubting your care and for doubting the truth about who you are. Fill us with faith to seek you and to trust that you are more than enough. Through Christ, amen.